0: Or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Many of you know Axis deer is considered to be the best-tasting venison on the planet. I've been hearing that for years. And that those deer cause some ecological harm. Well, Maui Nui venison is bringing those Axis deer to the market. So you can get some fresh cuts and sticks shipped to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I, venison.com. Use promo code MEAT EATER for 20% off your order. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You! and get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart & Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code Eater for 10% off your purchase. All right, everyone, thanks for tuning in. Even though you don't tune in to podcasts. Thanks for downloading the MEATEATER podcast. Um, we're, we're recording right now out of, I always think of this whole area as Phoenix. But you guys got it all subdivided. Scottsdale, It's Phoenix. It's, it's Phoenix. But it's, it's Phoenix, but Scottsdale.
1: Greater Phoenix.
0: Yeah. yeah, we're in the greater Phoenix area, which is great, in Scottsdale. I'm here with uh, Giannis Butellis, who's often with us. And before anything happens, I want to tell, Giannis, plug your T-shirt company. We've done so many podcasts, you never plugged your T-shirt company. <laughs> Giannis has a T-shirt company. Yep. It's called hunt to eat Go buy if everyone in this who listens to this goes and buys one of Yanni's T-shirts,
2: who's a constant presence on the Mediator Podcast, Yanni will be he'll be rich. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe give us just like ten days. Oh no, when this airs, it's going to be that's why I'm long doing it now. now. Perfect. Yanni's been <laughs> having
0: printing problems, but don't think that he doesn't put out the highest quality T-shirt possible. Hunt eat
2: dot com. HuntEat.com with a two though numeral. No, oh, the website is T O. Okay,
0: H U N T T O E A T. You go there. He's got different shirts. They say Hunt to Eat on them. You buy one. They're not expensive. They're cool looking shirts. Yanni gets a bunch of money. Um, you get an awesome shirt that says Hunt to Eat on it. You can get different states. You guys still have. You got Colorado.
2: Pretty slim right now. It's Colorado, and then we have a generic hunt to eat. We've got a couple coming down the pipe, so hopefully we'll have them out before hunting season.
0: I don't know why I'm out selling Yanni on his own t-shirt company, but he's just go there and get a hunt to eat t-shirt. I'm gonna start talking about that all the time. The other thing you ought to do before we get too far into this is uh, Meat Eater podcast is in many ways it's like the, it's the offspring in some way of a show. There's a TV show Meat Eater. I'm in it. It's on Sportsman Channel. And if you want to go just get it without having to monkey around with TV, you can go to meateater.vhx.tv and download and stream Meat Eaters until your heart's content. I don't know. We have, I don't know how many, there's, you know, how many, we've done 60 some episodes.
2: Yeah, there's six full volumes. Six full now. volumes on
0: there and put in the offer code meat Eater Podcast. You get five bucks off um, You get five bucks off any volume. So then you put your uh, Hunt to Eat, Yanni Patel's t-shirt on, watch your episodes. You're saving money, you're helping the planet. Um, we're joined by Dar Colburn and Jay Scott, two guides that I know who operate down here. And you guys, Colburn and Scott Outfitters.
3: That's correct, yeah.
0: If you were going to go on a guided hunt, um, you... This is going to sound like hyperbole, and I'm telling you, like I have a vested interest in Yanni selling a bunch of T-shirts because I hang out with them all the time. I have a vested interest in you downloading me eater episodes um, for, for various reasons. I have no vested interest in saying that if you were going to go on a hunt and you managed to get Jay and Scott to guide you, you're in the best possible shape because they don't do it for money. They just do it because they like it.
1: Well, we do it for money. <laughs> but you guys, here's the thing:
0: they do, they do. But once you hear about how these guys operate, and sort of like what they do, you realize that it goes way beyond that. And um, give me w- w- what you guys consider yourselves the spokesman for Colburn and Scott Authors. We're going to get into a lot of things that the, 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 these guys are involved in. I'll do this before you get into it. You're, you're involved in, I would say, four primary pursuits: Gould's turkeys. In Mexico. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, just to give you a thing, like turkeys in the U.S., all turkeys in the U.S. are regarded as, from a genetic standpoint, are regarded as one species. Okay? It's like the, the American wild turkey. But wild turkeys are divided up into Rio's, Rio Grande turkeys, Miriam's turkeys, Gould's turkeys, um, Eastern turkeys, Osceolas. The Osceolas are in South Florida. And it's kind of the most, that's the most dubious subspecies because there's no genetic barrier between eastern turkeys and osceolas. It's just like a line. You just draw a line, like basically around Orlando or something. Mm-hmm. You just like draw a line across the state and we all just agree that, that it's osceolas on one side of the line, easterns on the other side of the line. And there are some morphological differences, like they have some, the, 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 Blacker the, feathers. yeah, different color tones to them. When you get into the Goulds, Rios, and Miriams, you did have real genetic barriers separating these different populations out. The hardest one to get by far is a Goulds, and the best place to go to get a Goulds is in Mexico. And within that, the best place to go do it is on the places that, that, that Jay hunts. So they do Goulds turkeys in Mexico. Coo's deer in Mexico... And coos deer are kind of the only real valid subspecies of whitetails. Then elk in a handful of select units here in Arizona, the numbers of which are? Unit 9, Unit 10, and Unit 23. That's Jay Scott talking. Now, Jay, I'm just trying to do a quick wrap-up, so let me keep yapping for a minute. I I don't mean to, like, you're the guest, and I'm doing all the talking, but... I just want to lay the groundwork here. So you get this thing where you get these, like, these units, but it's not like giving up a secret because it takes forever to draw a unit. And When we get around to this, speak to that for a minute about what it requires to be able to hunt one of those units. The fourth thing these guys are involved in is hunting desert bighorns. That's correct.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But only a little teeny bit, like only one or two clients every year,
3: right? Yeah, well, there's very few tags for desert bighorn sheep in the state. I want to say there's probably only 75 tags. That's a rough number. And it's very hard, very challenging to get the tag. And, you know, a lot of those people don't go guided, but a few do.
0: Yeah, there are less than, I counted it up, and I can't remember what I counted. There are less than 1,000 bighorn tags in the U.S. Sounds about right. The way most of these bighorn tags are given out is they're given out through a lottery drawing where interested parties, interested dudes, send their money with an application and they do like a lottery. They pull names out of a hat and give those guys tags. But there's a couple other ways. There's, there's two other ways bighorn tags. There's two other primary ways. Like everything is just it gets endlessly complicated. But There's two other primary ways that bighorn tags given out. You give out a bighorn tag through a raffle where... You can buy as many tickets as you want for 5 or $10 a piece in whatever state you choose to participate in the raffle. And then that gives you multiple options. And then they draw a name out of that. And the odds on raffles can be dismal. Or they have a thing called a governor's tag or auction tag where to raise money for Bighorn Conservation... It's very exp- like bighorns are missing from a lot of their native range. It's very expensive to like get bighorns and get them where you want to get them and make the habitat right and protect them and have enforcement and research. And one of the ways they pay for all this is they sell a tag. Every state, most western states will every year sell a bighorn tag, and that's called the governor's
3: tag, or the auction tag. And you guys have done that. We have We actually, three years in a row, we guided the raffle hunter here in Arizona. And the interesting thing in Arizona, the raffle tag, you can only hunt a Nelson eye sheep. In Arizona, there's two types of bighorn. There's the Mexicana and there's the Nelson eye. The Nelson eye primarily are located... Those are both regarded as deserts. Both deserts. There's no distinction in like Boone and Crockett or Pope and Young or any of the record books. There's no distinction between the two. But the Nelson eye primarily are in the north and west part of the state, kind of northwest by Kingman. It's basically the epicenter and um, the raffle hunter can hunt nelson eye sheep there's one little section down in a unit 16a that there are some mexicanas that that move back and forth but for three years uh dar and i both uh, guided the raffle hunter and um how did you find the guy like just i just want to clarify real quick when we
0: say the raffle hunter meaning the the tag in arizona that was given out to the guy that won like the door prize type raffle thing, but how many of those raffle tickets did they sell?
3: I don't know exactly how many they sold. I know that last year when the third year we did it, we harvested the largest ram ever shot, not only on the raffle tag, but the largest Nelson I ever shot in the state of Arizona. Because of that, the following year when the raffle tag sales, I think it raised $160,000, $170,000. Oh, so it does almost as good as the governor's office. Well, and that was the thing. I think it brought thirty or thirty-five thousand more. And I don't want to say it's because we shot a big ram, but I mean, people too got you got people's attention. Yeah. So you got so go back to that
0: year. I guess we're going to talk about bighorns first because it just came up. Go back to that year, like how that went down, where a raffle guy, like how did you, how did the raffle guy come to hire you, and what did he hire you to do?
3: Well, the the first year was um, Donnie Young from Mississippi, and. He had actually called around and talked to several outfitters and talked to both Dar and I and emailed us. And we sent him photos and such, and he kind of interviewed us, and he chose us. And uh, we actually went out on that first year and shot. He got the largest uh, ram uh, shot on on the raffle tag. And um, the second year, we had um, Larry Spillers from Texas. He interviewed us the same thing, interviewed other outfitters and um went out and he got a really nice ram he had just shattered his ankle and i think it's his ankle and his foot and stuff didn't he have screws yeah and pins t- playing softball and he actually made a great stock even though it killed him to get up there and shot a really nice ram i think the third largest ever shot well then the third year that we did the tag uh claude warren from maine um called us and hired us pretty much pretty quick Mm-hmm. And um, he's a raffle winner. He's a raffle winner, and he's from Saco, Maine, and just a great guy. And and um, he's the one that shot that really giant um, desert bighorn the Nelson. I.
0: What do you when, when a guy like that? What are like like what is the package you you bring to someone when he's won this thing? He's won this tag. It's a once in a lifetime tag. You're never going to be able to do something like that again. What do you guys do to go? Like guide that trip, like talk about sort of the time you spend and how your schedule plays out over those months because that's the thing that's most interesting to me
3: yeah, what's so cool about those tags is they start um, August fifteenth and go to August fourteenth of the following year, so it's a three hundred and sixty five uh, day tag, and what's a normal bighorn tag like there is no normal
1: bighorn tags thirty days here,
3: yeah, thirty days, so if you actually drew the tag, the month of December is the sheep season here in arizona but the raffle guy gets a year he gets a year and they usually find out in july um i want to say mid july for the fall for the upcoming year so he knew a month ahead of time that his hunt actually started on august 15th well the raffle uh starts on august 15th well obviously here in arizona you know and over by kingman and lake havasu and some of these places where the nelson i are you know it's 115 118 120 degrees out so what's that country look like oh it's it's very beautiful country but very rugged um jagged cliffs and and some of it's pretty desolate yeah very desolate i mean a lot of times you go out there and you just you can't believe that a sheep even or an animal could live there um, but Just rock and sand. Rock, well, not as much sand, but granite and rock. And I guess there is some sand, but, yeah. you know, real steep, um, jagged peaks and um, just beautiful country, but, but inhospitable for sure. Mm-hmm. So you can't do it in August. That's the thing. I mean, you know, your hunt starts August 15th, but what we try and typically tell those raffle hunters is about October is not only a great time to go out and see a lot of sheep and the, the nelson eyes typically are rutting really good from like oh, the whole month of october and the whole month of november they're still rutting really good and so all three of those hunts we generally hunted from like the 15th of october to like november 15th mm-hmm. that was kind of the window the 30-day window when we wanted to get our hunts done and that's the main thing is prior to the general season starting. So since they drew a year-long tag, that's great. But we also like to be able to hunt before the general season starts. So you know for a fact that you will not see another hunter? Well, you won't see another desert sheep hunter. At the you might see some guy hunt deer or whatever. Deer, yeah. But um, we never saw really we hardly hardly ever see them. anybody ever, which makes it awesome because, you know, the sheep are rutting and there's a lot of them, the units we hunt. Uh, A lot of the 15 units and and such, there's just a lot of rams. I mean, we would see sometimes 100 sheep in a day and see, you know, what, 30, 40 rams in a day, maybe more. Um, And they're rutting, and there's nobody else out there, so it's just But I should point out that during much of this, the hunter's not even out there. Well, the raffle hunt, let me back up. Usually, Dar and I would go and scout for 10 days to two weeks prior to the season, and we would just go up there and we would just scout until the hunter showed up, and then we would go and hunt from there. So, you
0: guys camp out
3: and just look at rams? Yeah, just evaluate and look at rams, video, photograph. Absolutely, it's awesome. They're rutting around, it's a great time. So, you just like have a camp set up, get up in the morning.
0: Go watch wildlife. Yeah. Watch we act- sheep.
3: Mm-hmm. yeah Go we to act- bed, wake
0: up, watch sheep, and just keep a tally what you saw. Hey, you know, when you take uh, some time to clean out, uh, let's say like clean out your garage and you're like, man, how was I living like that? With that place such a mess. Well, check this out. If you've been paying a fortune for wireless and then you switch over to mint mobile and get plans for $15 a month. When you purchase a three month plan, you'll be saying, how was I ever affording to do that way? I did it before. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. To get this new customer offer and get your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just $15 a month, go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater. And you will cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month. Again, mintmobile.com slash meat eater. It's a $45 upfront payment required, which is the equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Man, I'm just coming back uh, not too long ago from youth turkey season in Wisconsin. Now, last year at youth turkey season, it rained and snowed the whole time. This year at youth turkey season, it was in the 70s and even up to 80. So me and my kids are pouring it to it. and I, after a while, I realized I didn't drink anything all day, and they haven't drank anything all day. Well, that's why it's important to get hydrated and have something you're going to like to help you, encourage you, to get hydrated doesn't matter outdoor events turkey hunting playing sports beach days mountain adventures summer requires extraordinary hydration that's built for everyday dehydrating moments with three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink plus eight vitamins and nutrients in a single stick it's clear why liquid iv is the number one powdered hydration brand in america tear pour live more Get incredible deals on premium cuts from ButcherBox. Do you like free protein for a whole year? Well, deals this good are hard to come by at the grocery store. I, at home, well, I got two freezers, but you know what I'm saying. I like to have a freezer stocked full of stuff. I like feeling prepared, man. When I come home and it's time to make dinner, I like to go in and I got all my proteins lined up in there. Just makes me feel good about stuff. And with ButcherBox, you'll always be prepared with meat in the freezer. It means fewer trips to the grocery store. Delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping always. You get a variety, a high-quality cuts at an amazing value. You'll get exclusive deals as a member, too. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash meat eater and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free and every order for a year. So every box you get has that in it free for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com meat eater. Make sure you use code meat eater to choose your free for a year offer plus $20 off your first order. So how many Rams it, during, that, during that pre-hunt period, how many
3: Rams might you locate? I mean it. I would say you could look at 50, 60, 70, 80 rams, um, depending on whether you know you're seeing 10. Anywhere from, let's say a, you make a big hike and maybe you go into country and there's not many sheep, maybe you see seven or eight, and you could see 30. It just depends on really where you go. Um, and one
1: thing we really try to do is photograph and video different rams. So we have a,
3: basically a catalog. Video in, inventory of yeah. all the rams characteristics you know the flaring ones the ones that curl and tip up um so that when the hunter gets there he can go that's the one i want to go after what country was that one in and that that's the one we really like do you feel that like you find all the rams oh absolutely no. not no way i mean no, oh so there's stuff you don't know oh, about, yeah even after all that and yeah. i mean that that's half the fun of it is having where you don't know what's there and what's around the next the next you know bend and what's up over the next hill i mean it it, the country's way too rugged to feel like you could have inventory of every ram now there are certain units in arizona where after a certain amount of time you can probably get a pretty good inventory of every ram that's in there but But these
1: sheep move too so you could i mean you could be there for a week and go back a week later and some different rams have you know moved into that area
0: do you feel like there's bighorns in there that no one's, that there could
3: feasibly be a bighorn in there that no one's ever looked at? I doubt it. I, I doubt it too, but, I mean, you take like 15D where we actually um, harvested uh, two out of three of the rams. Well, I guess 15D south, mm-hmm. um, the unit got split. But there's, you know, I think they surveyed 500 and some sheep in the last survey. We were there actually three years in a row for their surveys, and I want to say they survey between it's by a helicopter anywhere between 450 and i think the last year we were there it was close to 500 and mm-hmm. something sheep so i mean you're looking at a lot of country and you know with the raffle tag you can hunt anywhere any of those units yep. so you could basically go from you know the bill williams river at the bottom into 16a and you could go all the way up through the kayabab and literally cover hundreds of miles of, of country if you wanted to um to back up a little bit, the first year we went out there, and we actually set a camp, Dar and I. Then we actually met a guy there in um, Golden Valley, Fred Ashurst, who's Dar and is now a dear friend. And he just basically has got this awesome property with this house, and he's got this garage and concrete floors. And he invited us, hey, just make base camp out of here. So actually the last two years we did the raffle hunt, we just stayed at Fred's, which made it great because he, he actually built a shower for us and a bathroom and um i mean i think the and first bring our cuts out and, yeah i mean we're there great. for you know anywhere from 21 to you know 30 days straight and um just looking at sheep, it's it's great without no, without getting too like i don't want to
0: get too per- like i don't want to get too personal not personal like in a, like a, your personal life
3: but how in the world do you bill for something like that that's the thing i mean it, it, you if you break it down by per hour what dar and i charge i mean we You know, we're doing it because we love it. And we're doing it because, really, that's an opportunity to hunt and really look out there and find what's the unknown. Yeah. and Basically, it covers our expenses to be out there. Is that right? Yeah. But I remember, like, just to get a sense for
0: how much these guys look around, um, I remember a conversation that I had with Jay. I think when we were hunting Gould's turkeys in Mexico, I had... I, I was talking about how I've seen, while out hunting, I've run into three mountain lions. And I remember asking Jay if he sees many mountain lions. And I think at the time, I think you said, right now
3: I'm looking for number 32 or something like that. <laughs> and now it's looking for number 38. We oh. <laughs> we saw two down in Mexico, Cooster Hunt. I actually just saw the one, um, Dar saw them both. But, um yeah. If you were gonna have a way to measure how much time someone spends,
0: um, if you if you're like gonna like try to like quantify not just quantity but quality of hours spent hunting in this kind of area, it would be like a good way to measure. Like, well, how many mountain lions have you seen? Because it's like not only is it how much you're doing, it, but how good you're doing it.
3: You know. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I will say that probably. 80% of the lions that I've seen have been in Mexico, maybe 90%. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, I've, I've seen a bunch of them, most all of them with my binoculars. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're getting up on big perches and looking over tons of country and doing it, you know, days on end, looking for deer. Um, But, you know, people think, you know, the lions would be hard to see. Most every lion I've seen, I mean, as soon as you see it, it's just boom. That's a lion. And it's not like they're hiding. I mean, you just see them plain as day. That reminds me of
0: something that that the writer, is a really good hunt writer. No no one really knows about the guy, Duncan Gilchrist. um, He's got a book, Hunt High. And with that, he doesn't mean hunt stone. He means hunt the high country. And uh, he's just, he's like this really like Duncan Gilchrist was sort of like an accidentally good writer. I think he accidentally almost wrote like Hemingway, like really sparse and kind of beautiful. But he was a timber cruiser by trade, but he was a big game guy too. And he, um, in one of his passages, he was saying like all the time you spend, he used to hunt bears a lot. All the time you spend being like, oh, is that a bear? You know? He's like, there's never been a time when I've seen a bear where I thought, oh, is that a bear? And it had to turn out to be a bear. It just is. And you know it, you know. Like, a stump don't turn into a bear. It's like, you're
3: like, there's a bear. Yeah, and you that's know? what it's like. I mean, I think Dar would agree yeah. with lions. I mean, you just see them, and there they are. It's just like, that's what it is, man. You know, interesting about Duncan, he was really big
0: into bighorns, filming them. You heard of this guy? Oh, yeah. He died filming bighorns. That's awesome. A friend of mine... More like an acquaintance of mine, an outdoor writer named Daryl Gadbo was writing a thing and was with Duncan when Duncan had a heart attack and died. And I remember Daryl had said, um, it was like he just left, like Duncan just left. And he'd looked at him and said, Duncan, where'd you go? And just like, was just gone. Yeah. On the mountain bighorns, man. What a way to go, though. He was he was big into it. you guys. You guys, should, if you haven't looked at his stuff, you should look at it because he was huge into that stuff. But when you're so when you're out like surveying the ground for sheep, are you looking at stuff that a lot of guys would maybe miss?
1: Is it like is it hard to find sheep when you're up glassing for them? The country can be hard. I mean, it can be pretty physical, um, but I think with sheep, one of the things Jay would probably agree we don't spend. All the time sitting in one spot looking, we cover a lot of country. We glass for a little bit. If we don't see something, we're on to the next spot. So,
2: so not really like Coos where you no, here on one Derry, perch for where a coues we still move,
1: but you wouldn't sit all day looking, yeah. you know, at one hillside. We look. If we don't see them, we're off.
3: So you feel like you can rule out areas. Definitely. Well, yeah. One of the biggest pieces of advice I give people all the time on sheep is. And, and I'm notorious, Daris too, for having 10-power, you know, Swarovskis around her neck or whatever we're using. And you just pop up, you pan it real fast, and a lot of times you're going to see them right away, those white butts of the sheep yeah. that stick out. And I think from a coos mentality, you know, you hike up to a high spot and you sit there and you work it over in glass meticulously all day. As a sheep hunter, I'm kind of the opposite. I go up to a high point, I cover it all I move over a bit, I cover this area, I turn around, so I basically cover 360, and maybe I'll do it twice. If I don't see them, boom, I'm going over, hiking over to another high point and do the same thing. But because sheep are nomadic and because they move around very, very much, more than any other animal we hunt, um, moving, because it's such big country, you have to move with your eyes and with your feet and you know, rule out country, move, cover the backside, cover the front side, go to a whole new area. Yeah. Cause it's just like unlimited amounts of stuff to look Rams at. Rams will be, you know, here one day and you know, fifteen miles away two days later. The the I always say the the worst place to look for a big ram is the last place you saw. Oh really? <laughs> not saying they won't always cycle back to that area at some point in time, but they just they just move here and there. They have they're nomadic. And they're not like they're not like a deer. I
1: would say where they're hiding from you, or laying down there. They're just sheep. They're just up moving around, and like Jay said, if you see them, you see them. If you don't move, yeah, um, they're not hiding from you. Yep. not see. A them.
3: deer when they when a deer sees you deer, they'll either hunker down or they'll take off running. Sheep are curious animals, and they do have that barrier like an antelope, where you know you can get four or five hundred yards from them as long as you keep that distance. They're just going to let you, you know, yeah. they feel comfortable at mm-hmm. that range.
0: Do you ever go out and find a bighorn? You're like, wow, that's a giant bighorn. Some guy'd love to kill that bighorn, and then you never find him again.
3: Oh, I mean, abs- absolutely. As nomadic as they are, yeah, I mean, they're very hard to keep track of. Depending on the country um, and their habitat, you know, eventually you'll find them again if you look for long enough. I mean, so you got a guy just to get,
0: get back to how this, how this whole thing plays out. You get like a guy, you got a client, he's gonna come out and hunt. How many days is the guy gonna come out and hunt compared to how many days you guys are gonna be out there looking
3: so when he gets there, you know what to show him? It depends. Like on the raffle hunts or the general season hunts, you know, we put in usually a minimum of, you know, a couple of weeks of scouting before they get there. On the raffle hunts, we always like, our, our thing is we like to be there like the 14 days before they got there so that we knew immediately what the sheep were doing, you know scouting a month earlier two months earlier the sheep are going to be completely moved so it's not like scouting you know a a deer that's got a home range or an elk that has a home range you know like i said if you spotted a big ram you're probably better off to go to completely different side of the mountain so we feel like right before the hunt is the most important time with sheep to be scouting and then
0: how many sheep might you find like you know what the guy wants like 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 you know the the way like at, at this level, when someone wants to go hunt bighorns, I'm talking to the audience, that's Jay. At this point at level, when someone's going to go hunt bighorns, they got like a they get like a number in their head. You know, you're going to do this once, right? And they'll want a ram of, of certain size. So like, what's a giant, or you know, what's the bottom end? Like, what would be like a big? You know. Like a, a
1: big, desert, big horn that everyone would agree is a big, big horn.
2: But sometimes it's a look thing, too, right? It's not always just a number.
1: Well, and it can vary unit by unit. I mean, some units don't have what we would say are big rims, and they just n- never have. And
0: But the raffle guy is not going to go to that unit, though.
1: No, but big in the raffle units, it's you can't compare big in a raffle unit versus some of the general units.
0: Yeah, like years ago, like I think it was 2005, my brother drew a bighorn, a Rocky Mountain bighorn tag in Montana. Now, the biggest, you know, some of the biggest Rocky Mountain bighorns in the country come out of Unit 680 on the Missouri River, Montana. He didn't draw one there, he drew one far away. You're just you're never going to get one of those rams yeah. where he drew a ram. So, like, when we showed it to the biologist down there, he's
3: like, wow, that's a big ram. No way is that a big ram in Unit 680 right you know, i mean it's, it's the same like a thing here with like the nelson eye typically the nelson eye are not near as big as the mexicanas the mexicanas are basically from that same line bill, bill williams river to the south you've got western arizona by Quartzsite and and yuma and then um you know some of the biggest rams in the world desert desert sheep are right here out of phoenix in unit 22 and 24 right along these lakes there's uh saguaro canyon and apache lake and some of the biggest, most giant Mexicana rams ever be taken or come right out of here, just, you know, 45 minutes from our house here. Um, But you can't really compare a Nelson eye with a Mexicana. They're separately, you know, like what you were saying, you would show what is a big Nelson eye to someone that hunts Mexicana, and they would, it's, they're just not as big. The Mexicana rams um, are just a bigger ram, bigger base, just, bigger score wise even bigger than the big ones you guys have gotten well when claude warren shot his ram it to give you an idea it gross scored 185 and three eighths which that's a giant even for mexicanos okay Mm -hmm. um but it was the largest nelson i ever shot in the state of arizona so you know that's a freak. It was a freak. Yeah, I guess. Normally, about 168, 170-inch Nelson Eye is a really big ram that you've really done something. Like Dar's hunter this year, we had a hunter in the general season, um, and we hunted in the same unit where Claude shot his ram, and he actually got a really big ram, uh, the biggest Nelson Eye in the state of Arizona this year, and it was 175 and, what, four-eighths gross. And that was the biggest Nelson I shot, which last year was 185 and 3.8. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's a but huge difference. Even our ram this year, um, Bob O'Connor's ram was a giant, but it was you know it's 10 inches smaller than Claude's, to give you an idea.
0: All right, everyone. I know you're enjoying the Meat Eater podcast, and you're especially enjoying it because it's free. And to keep it that way, we got to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. This year, podcast is supported by Wealthfront, the automated investment service that makes it easy to invest your money the proper way. Wealthfront software manages your money using investment strategies that were previously only available to the wealthiest dudes for just one quarter of the cost of using a traditional advisor. So what it does is it monitors your account 24-7, it automatically rebalances your portfolio, It reinvests your dividends, and it works to maximize after-tax returns. Wealthfront is overseen by a team of investment experts, the same guys who launched the index fund revolution and who've written many of the most important books in finance. If you're still not convinced, understand that Wealthfront manages $2 billion in client assets and has saved literally millions of dollars on taxes for its clients. With Wealthfront watching over your investments every day, you're going to have a lot more time to do the kind of stuff that we talk about here on this podcast. Visit Wealthfront.com meet, and you can get $10,000 managed for free. That's Wealthfront.com meet. Get your money managed for free. So if you guys didn't have a client coming out, would you go down and look at all those sheets still?
1: I don't know if I'd drive four hours. I'd probably drive out here an hour and look at sheep. I got you. Versus go way over there. Yeah. And then you So when the guy comes out, the client
0: comes
3: out, you present him with your findings. Yeah, we show him all the pictures and the video. And and a lot of times um, we'll be emailing him and sending him little snippets of video the whole time when he's at home when we're off scouting. And what's his take on this? Oh, they love it. Yeah, they eat it up. They love it. <laughs> you know, and they, they start naming rams. And, and,
1: I, and I think that's one of the reasons that we've booked that hunt so much and people like us because they talk to the hunters before and they're saying, I got emails every day of all the rams and they just love it. You know,
3: the documentation. It, it drives them crazy, though, because they're back home and we're out there looking at sheep. But why are they back home? Well, they, they could be out there, but when we set aside, like, let's hunt. Oh, because he's not going to have a month. That he doesn't, right. yeah, yeah. so yeah. like, who's got a month? We actually yeah, yeah. set aside two weeks for that hunt, and we say, look, if we don't find what you want um, in that time frame, then we can always come back out and keep hunting. Gotcha. Um, but it kills them when we're out scouting and sending them pictures <laughs> of rams and, and uh they're at home so so you tell the hunter he, he still you tell him to come out for two weeks we usually plan two weeks on that hunt yes
0: minimum I mean and by that point do you know like this, is, this is a two pronged question at that point do you know the ram you're going to look for when the guy gets out there and
3: in square miles how much how do you know where that ram is well what we try and do is see where the ram A lot of times we'll watch him and he'll be here and he'll be here and he'll be here and he'll be here and and we kind of connect the dots that this is the this is the mountain range or this these are the certain peaks that we've seen the ram on Mm -hmm. um you know claude's ram you know i i found claude's ram fred and i found claude's ram together and i saw him that day and i saw him the next morning and then I was scouting ahead of time, ahead of the sc- before I was even planning to come scout. You were scouting for your scouting yeah. trip. <laughs> yeah, I was scouting for the scouting trip, and we had him scheduled to come out November 1st to hunt from the 1st to the 15th. Well, I found this ram, and Dar- I brought him back, showed a video of Dar and everything, and we started looking, and it just started eating on us that we need to get up there. So I turned around and went up there. Well, I looked for 14 days, and we couldn't find the ram. You're kidding me. So they're like... Well, they move around. Yeah, I mean, they like, cover a lot of country. Did you ever find him again? That's the one we shot. Yeah. Oh, you, oh, that was the one? The day he got killed. 14 days later. So the hunter was there for 14
2: days on that one?
3: No, the hunter no. showed up on... Um, I think it was his sixth or seventh day. Because um, we actually bumped his days up. So you had seen it. You had seen the ram... Saw it again. Videoed them. Then lost it for 14 days. Couldn't find them for 14 days. And how hard were you looking for it? It's as hard. It's as, as, as darn <laughs> hard. And you guys do stuff. The hard. only way that these two look hard. for stuff. Let <laughs> the sun down as if we lost our wedding ring out on the side of the hill. I mean, I like just to give you a thing here. I
0: hunted turkeys with these guys, and Jay likes to leave about 3 a.m. For if it's a very short drive. If, if it's a very short drive on private property, Jay likes to leave about 3 a.m. and get out in the woods. And we had a camera with us, as we wanted to do, and we had to put tape over a little red light that's the size of a pinhead on the camera. And then Jay gets in what best be described as sort of a lotus position against a tree and just sits there and doesn't even kind of move until daybreak
3: I think a lot of times you could say what we do is a little extreme but I think the reason that Dar and I have the success we have is we try and cover all the bases and we try and leave no stone unturned and we you know the little things like the light. I mean, I don't want to ruin the morning hunt for you because he sees you know the little. Because it's the controllable stuff. No, I totally understand. Like I'm not, I don't, I'm not like hacking at you. I understand it, respect it, and it's like
0: there's so many things you don't control, like where that ram's going to wander to. Why not have it be that everything you can control, you just address so that it's only going to be the non-controllable. That's right. And you never have to be like, oh, I wish I hadn't. I mean, you can do that in your own way. Like, I should have gone in that drainage and not that drainage. Like, you can second guess. I'm always But it's not like, I wish I hadn't been a dumbass, Mm -hmm. you know, or I wish I hadn't taken, like, a shortcut, or I wish I hadn't decided to sleep in a little bit late and then have it be that you know you're the
3: cause of the problem, you know? Yeah, I think that's huge. I mean, from an outfitter standpoint, you know, there's always someone that will outwork you. There's always someone that's better than you. There's always someone that can spot better and do whatever. And so our job is to just try and do the absolute best job that we can and be the most efficient and most effective that we can. And, and, you know, let the results be what they, they may, but you, you've got to give it a hundred percent on every hunt, period.
0: But you guys have never gotten into, um, Anything that, like, the buzz, not a buzzword, but the people are talking about, is it scalable? Is it scalable? You've never gotten into anything that's scalable. What do you mean? Like, okay, a guy becomes the elk guide, right? And then one day he says, you know what I should do is I'll build a lodge, and I'll hire 10 guides, and I'll have, you know, 40 guys come through this every year and kill elk, and then we're making real money. Like
1: you guys do, like boutique.
3: Yeah, I mean that's
1: a good word for it is boutique because we've talked about it a lot. If you want to make money and earn a living as an outfitter, it's a volume game. You got to do a lot of volume. But when you do a lot of volume, you lose control over, you know, the quality and who's guiding. I mean, it's not me or it's not Jay; it's somebody else, and it's hard to control
2: that. And we Giannis is want- just out there. Yeah, running well,
0: and is- nilly. <laughs> yeah, I should point out that Giannis Votellis, who you're supposed, to be, you're supposed to be out buying his Hunt to Eat t-shirts right now, Giannis Votellis, who's a producer on um, media of the show and who's always here on these podcasts, worked, never on the bighorn end of things, but worked the elk end of things with Jay and Dar, Colburn and Scott. Now I wanna I I to talk about some of the other stuff you guys do, but I want to finish up. Tell me about tell me the story of where last year you guys did the uh like the governor's tag, and, and you, the audience, remember I was saying that there's like three basic ways that bighorn tags get distributed, where you have the general lottery, where you pay an application fee and send in your application, one application, and you get picked or not. Then you have that. Um, raffle where you can buy an unlimited number of raffle tickets at five or ten bucks a piece, and maybe it's, you know, a percent of a percent chances of being winning, but you win the tag. Or you just, like, got deep pockets and you buy the governor's tag. So after doing, after killing these, like, giant rams with these auction guys, the governor guy comes to you. On the raffle, you mean, and then the governor. Oh, sorry, yeah. After successfully, three years, very years. successfully doing three raffle guys you get sort of the you know the crown jewel of the the governor guy Mm
3: -hmm.
0: so tell me how that plays out
2: you know i think one quick question you i'll just interject so you answer it while you talk here is i do want to know is it the crown jewel for you when you did get that call and um if it's all right to say how much that tag went for and so
3: we know how much. well even
0: if he doesn't want to say it i'll just look it up on my phone
3: yeah, okay. no. The the <laughs> actually the tag this year the the um, the tag went for two hundred and twenty five thousand. Um, the the year last season when we guided the tag, it went for one hundred and eighty thousand. Now the beauty of that is all of that money goes to our sheep in our state. It stays here and and goes into you know conservation and building water water for the sheep and transplanting and helicopter surveys and yeah all it's and all. earmarked that money is
1: earmarked specifically for sheep yeah. which is great yeah
0: yeah but it it is and I support you know I mean it doesn't really matter what I think but as far as the grand scheme of things goes but like I support the thing but the the paradox and and everyone admits to this is we have like our country, the reason our country has such phenomenal hunting opportunities and such phenomenal wildlife, despite the fact of a huge population and technologic, you know, technologically advanced and all that. We have like wonderful wildlife, wonderful hunting because we have what's called the North American model of wildlife converse- conservation. And people often criticize that term like it just makes people fall asleep hearing someone say North American model of wildlife conservation. But what it means is wildlife held in public trust. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecova's is your stop before attending your next concert. Tacova's has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. And Tacova's has first wear comfort, meaning you put them on, they feel great. Little or no break-in, period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style, plus their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Just ask my buddy Chili, who's been slipping around in his Tacoba boots talking about how great he feels in them. He loves
3: them. Yeah, Steve, they're very comfortable, they're very fashionable, and I enjoy wearing mine around the office and anywhere I go around Bozeman. Stop by your local Tacoba store, have a complimentary
0: drink, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. And find your new favorite pair of boots today. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. And make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip, but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors, dippers love mint straight and wintergreen all
3: proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them chili. The reason I like black Buffalo pouches is one. They're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older,
0: consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo
3: herd head over to
0: blackbuffalo.com to learn more you can order nicotine pouches online they ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country black buffalo tobacco alternative bold flavor full pouches warning this product contains nicotine nicotine is an addictive chemical black buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. The reason you do a lottery to get a bighorn tag is no one has any more right to the bighorns as anyone else, and you are democratically allocating bighorn tags. The governor's tag, when it's criticized, it's criticized on on those grounds, meaning you're throwing out this idea of like democratic wildlife, of publicly owned wildlife, and making it a commodity... That goes to the highest bidder, but you got to keep in mind too, sort of how many tags we're talking about. Like you might have a state that issues several hundred bighorn tags; they do one for the governor's auction, and there's the issue of the fact that that money, and they can pull some out for administrative purposes, but I think it's like in the ninety percentage points of that money goes on the ground. Okay, so you could hit and it happens every year in every state people hit bighorns with cars right it's like one bighorn isn't necessarily it's not like one bighorn is of, of vital importance to the population of bighorn we're not talking about bigfoots here we're talking about bighorns right like you can kill a bighorn that doesn't have any especially an old male has no real difference on how many sheep are going to be living in that state okay so it's not like you're like giving this the guy some finite resource that he's now going to remove and it's no more. You're killing a bighorn, one of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bighorns that live around here. And it's a bunch of money. But I'm, but I am sympathetic to the criticism of it. Like I understand where the criticism is coming from. And if you paid me to like advocate on that behalf, I could make a pretty impassioned argument against governor's tags. But I could make a better one in favor of them as it's currently run because this kind of stuff's expensive, man. They shot out bighorns off most of their range in the 1800s shooting them for meat for whatever reason, and it's not like you don't just like wave a magic wand and get all those bighorns put back where you want them. It takes tons of time, tons of resources. So, as you guys get this guy, he calls up, he bought the big he got bought the governor's tag for 220. No, he paid 180. The 180. This year's tag
3: paid 220. Oh, okay. 225, I think. And and how's that conversation go? You know, Darn and I have talked long and hard about wanting to have the governor's tag for desert bighorn sheep, and you know, it's it's an honor to be able to guide that tag. And I always looked at it as you know, because a lot of the scouting of some of the biggest rams in Arizona, right here, 45 minutes, you know, from our house. And um, it was something that I've always wanted to do. And I would say I had just an incredible time. We had an incredible time scouting. I think we each had 40 days individually into scouting. Is that right? And, um, you know, we we saw some incredible country. We found some incredible, beautiful rams. And, you know, I, I think it was everything as a guide that i wanted to do um it was just awesome to be out there basically photographing and videoing and filming these rams and nobody really was else around and um it was awesome we found you know if 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 you're familiar with the scoring system i mean we found seven rams that we thought were between 180 and 184 inches Um, our target ram score wise for the the hunter wanted a hundred and eighty five inch ram and you can tell you're, you you tell me the difference between a one eighty four and a one eighty five no, but what I can tell you is um, there were no rams that we had found prior to the general season that were definitively over one eighty five there was a seven of them uh two of which got killed there were seven that we thought were between that 180 to 184 inch range now the two that got killed did they prove you right or wrong um i think both the the two that got killed i think dar and i were both under we thought they were smaller oh so you
0: guys are conservative not the other
3: way i always like to be yeah i the, the the worst thing that dar and i could ever in our mind is be over on a score it the 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 thing that would crush me most is if I overestimate and it 's happened before on animals over the last twenty years or whatever doing this but it it 's one of those things that I never want to be over ever that's you know that 's part of credibility and that 's part of um, you know darn I like to be credible, and we like to make sure that if we tell somebody something that that 's what it is and you found so you found seven rams that were in this area of 180 to 180 to 185 inches 184 we didn't find any that were one what we thought were 181 180 184 right. we found seven two of those got killed by other hunters two yeah on the general season on the general season because the general season starts december 1st and it usually runs the whole month of december so just like in the raffle situation we wanted to hunt and be done before the general season okay. this is a little bit different though and our conversations before the general season with, with the hunter um, and his representative was, "We have not found what you want." That and, we could say definitively. Yeah, we, and, and is and, You know Of the seven, we probably could have went out with them and killed any one of the seven pretty much any, at any time, um, or put an effort in to find that ram, and okay, let's go get them. Um, and he, you know the hunter was like, "Well, what do you think?" and we said well you've said from the beginning you want you know a one eighty five or better you know in two thousand and twelve um, i I helped the hunter that had killed a hundred and eighty six you know inch ram and and the the raffle ram the year before Claude's ram was one eighty five and three and you know we felt like there was probably a ram out there that was bigger than one eighty five we didn't know of any but we had all year to look for that ram. Did other guys know of one? It, I mean, it, it's hard to say. I mean, obviously we're not privy to some of the scores and stuff that, that other people, and, and we certainly don't ever want to say that we know every ram in the state at all. Well, and, and the other thing
1: we talked about is there was only so
3: many tags
1: in that area where we were looking. They couldn't kill all those rams on the general hunt. Oh, of the, even all the even if everyone killed one of the giants, it would y- be all right. Yeah, giants. we still would have some rams that, if we didn't find something else, we could potentially go hunt after the
3: you know the yeah, general hunt. So after the over. general hunt, and we could hunt through the general hunt. You know, his tag was every bit as good as any one of the general season tags. He could mm-hmm. hunt in basically any of the units, but then he would have you know February, March, April, May, June, July, and half of August, which. The desert bighorn in this area where the Mexicanas are, they typically rut in June and July and the first part of August. So you know, we were gonna be probably the first auction tag to ever hunt during the rut. And um, it'd be hot. the first
0: auction it'd be the first auction guy that actually waited that long. That actually waited that long. So from our perspective Why do they rut so different than the other ones? Like in the same state you got some sheep that rut October, November, and you got the sheep that are rutting late summer. You
3: know, it's like why do the brown trout you know, feed in this time in the rain, you know, it's just, it's just yeah. the way it is. Gotcha. Um, so we knew that we had a great opportunity if, if, even if we didn't kill uh, before the general season that, you know, we had tons of time to find a, a you know, a true giant. And if we didn't, you know, we, we would have taken the chance and hunted the whole year and to try and find that monster of a lifetime. And if not, he we're pretty confident that you know he could shoot a, you know a ram around 180 inches with you know two weeks to go, three weeks to go in the season. Yeah. So we're thinking we shouldn't settle now when we can
1: settle at the end and have the same
3: result. result, yeah. Yeah. And I mean the hunter will asked specifically is like what would you do and i said well if i had your tag and i wanted to kill a ram over 185 if we haven't found one that's over 185 let's keep looking we have all year
0: did you ever start to worry that there wasn't one in existence in the state
3: oh i mean i think it's not a worry but i think that's what motivates you to go out every day is to try and find it because but you it's know, plausible that there's not sure oh absolutely it's absolutely plausible that there's not a over a, over a 185 but my thing is with this tag why not exhaust every possible resource and if there's not you don't find one you gave it a great shot and within let's say the last 30 days of the hunt you could probably go out and still kill the tremendous ram
2: yeah and you get to spend all that time in the field looking at. yeah you. i mean you mm-hmm.
3: the the amazing photographs and video that dar and i were able to capture was is is awesome and we'll always have that and we learned so much from it too i mean there's parts of the unit that we learned now that you know that we didn't hadn't gone in that now we know really well and um you know it it's nobody would do this unless they loved it you know you got to love it to want to be good at this and to do it. it i mean if you don't have a passion for it you don't stand a chance i mean you can go out and shoot a ram but you have to really and there's a handful of guys that really love it yeah no there are from a, from this is something you never you never gonna be
0: able to answer because you're honest, but you're tactful, at least enough to survive. How could it not be that like, just hearing this for me, I'm just curious how what goes on in your head with it. How can you not think after a while that, that it'd be like, no, I killed that ramp. Like, I'm the one that was out there. I covered all the ground. I went all the miles. I found the thing. I showed you where it is. And then, one might say one could argue he just shows up and pulls the trigger Hi. i mean how does do you know what i mean like i'm not saying i'm not criticizing what he did like he's doing his own thing and, and he's within the law he's he's d- does right by you everybody's happy but in your head do you wind up how do you how do you wind up feeling glad for him and not kind of like and not kind of like territorial about the family? are you talking the Specifically,
1: the, the auction tag. No, any, any a, hunter. You an, gotta any, do any, any, okay. Yeah, like I think that
0: anyone who's not out there. Like, if the guy said, "No, I'm gonna be right there with you, man." Like, if you stop fast, you're gonna feel me bump into you because I'm in this. I want to do this. I want to learn what you guys know. But to have it be that you do all that, and then a the guy comes out and and shoots the thing. I'm not. As, I'm, I, I must not be as big of a guy as you guys are, emotionally or, or psychologically. Because I would wind up being like, you know what, I'm not going to show you where the sheep is.
3: <laughs> because
0: if you really wanted to know... You'd have been here.
3: Well, I, I would feel that way about it. I certainly think, and Dar can speak for himself, but I certainly do like taking hunters that want to go scouting and want to be there for every experience. And let's face it, though, I mean, I can argue both sides of the auction tag. I can argue both sides very well. Um, our state relies on this money, and quite frankly... Uh, the general Joe Blow, as much as I love him, they're not going to shell out of their pocket five bucks. They just, it's just... Yeah. And, and we need the money. And so I'm absolutely 100% for auction tags. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I am too. And, and to get, get to your question, I think when we decide that we're going to be Colburn and Scott Outfitters and we're going to be guides and we're going to do this, I think you have to take a level of professionalism in the field that says... I've been hired to do a job and my job is to sweat, my job is to get, you know, struck by rattlesnakes, my job is to do whatever it takes, you know, have the boat break down, my, you know, change flat tires like we did out on the 60 and and that's my job and nobody hears about that stuff. My job is to find, our job is to find the client the biggest ram possible and have them have the best hump that they can possibly have. I think Part of our goal on our general season hunts is we want, yes, we want a great trophy, but more than anything, we want the great experience. We never want a hunter to leave thinking that they just came out, pulled the trigger, and they were done. Okay. Most all the hunters that we ever hunt with, with all the different species, they, they text us, they email us, they call us, they invite us to their house. We're friends with them, and we build that bond and relationship so I certainly don't want this whole conversation to be taken, that it's all around the trophy. To us, it's more about the experience. But, yeah, I mean, is it feasible to think that you could go through all this work, you know, 110 degrees, and you're out there hiking up and down peaks and, you know, sleeping with the, you know, the, the, the fleas biting your ears all night and, you know, all that stuff that we do. But that's also the job we chose. And yeah. I think at some point that's your duty and you, you just do it.
0: Yeah, and I think the other thing that I could see how I'd feel about it is that it facilitates you being able to do something that people would only dream of doing. Yeah, that's right. I that. think that people. Here's what it is. I think people think they. I think people think they wish they did what you guys did. They think yeah
1: until they do it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> until they do but, it with. But it. <laughs> yeah. Steve, what I was going to say too is, th- most hunters, like Jay said, we've become lifelong friends with. And then you get the the person, you know, our sheep hunter from this December, he shoots an unbelievable ram. He never once mentioned score prior to the hunt. And he gave me a hug as he was leaving with his family there and broke into tears and was just like, thank you for this unbelievable experience. It was, you know, more than I could have ever imagined. So, I mean, that's pretty special. You know, it's more than money at that point and the size of a, a ram. It's, it's a bonding, you know, life experience you've just shared with this person.
2: I, mean, I think there here. are guys out guides out there that I think all of us have run across that aren't nearly as professional as you two and that probably out of the realm of, you know, the public eye, they do walk around boasting a little bit how probably, and they take it into possession as in how
3: much they've killed talking about what their clients have killed. Well, sure. I, I agree with you, but I, and certainly I don't want to come across as someone that's saying that darn, I don't have pride and don't have our own egos. We all think, want
1: to kill the biggest I think stuff the we challenge can. challenge <laughs> yeah.
3: I mean, we want to kill the biggest thing on the mountain um, because it's a once in a lifetime deal, but I think we have to always check our own egos and, and, and you know, kind of humbly approach this because, you know, we're not perfect by, by any stretch of the imagination. You know, what's funny about what, what I was saying earlier about
0: sort of like who did it, like whose possession it is. Talk like when you talk with guys, like I have a lot of friends that hunt a lot. And like, I know, you know, we know guides and, you know, many of my friends have been guides. So when we talk about like when Giannis would tell me what you, he's always telling me what you guys are up to because he's in touch with you all the time. Giannis would never say, um, yeah, Jay and Dar's client did whatever it would be Jay and Dar as, like, though somehow you guys are both, like, sharing, you each got your finger on the trigger. It's like, Jay and Dar killed blank. You know what I mean? It's like it never, like, hearing it, no insult to your clients, hearing it, it never even enters into my head that it's something other, I just, like, hear it and I'm like, that they did this thing, you know. And granted, like for sure, you have like someone there, and you're doing your job. But just, like in my, from like when I hear it, that's just like honestly what I hear. I don't picture you guys like joint doing it, but I just picture it sort of like. But that's you the thing. We, there, we get know?
1: to go the whole experience and do it all. We just don't get to take it home. Yeah, I mean, in the end, we never. We get to go on a sheep hunt every year, which is amazing. Do you guys go years without hunting, personally? Oh, personally, yeah,
3: yeah, a long, long time. Yeah, and I, I think speaking to that, you know, when Dar and I started, even before we started guiding a lot, I mean, we've always kind of guided, but um, Dar and I hunted together for all sorts of animals. And, um, you know, I think one of the things that made... You mean hunted like hunted. Yeah, like, yeah, like our own tags together. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that made us very effective is we always acted as a team and there's numerous trophies that, that um, Dar shot um, that, you know, I'm as happy about him shooting that trophy as if I am. And people say, oh, that's not true. You, I, But. Dude, I, I can bag you up on that 100%. Same thing. Man, yeah. like when I
0: hunted, like the handful of times I've hunted doll sheep, it's always been with my brothers. And it's like it doesn't, you you don't talk about it. It's that we, you know, you guys come off the mountain saying like we got a ram, yeah, and that's and the people same thing with guiding. That's the same thing like, what would you guys get? It'd be
1: like, oh, we got a ram, and that's the same thing with guiding out.
3: So. Right. We've taken that yeah. same mentality into guiding, and you know, with with the coos deer hunting and the mule deer and the elk and turkeys and whatever, we just Dar and I operate. We we know how each other. We know how we act. We know how when one person you know. Is, may get frustrated we know how we know how to read each other and we work almost as one um and people that hunt with us they say that they're like you guys are unbelievable because he knows what you're thinking you know what he's thinking and i think that's we've become pretty effective that way and i think we took that into the guiding and we're able to produce you know very well because we work as one team and and um how did you guys meet in the first place? wasn't like a fly fishing shop or something? Yeah. Fly shop. So it was, I think, in 1995, I believe, um, maybe 94, so 20 years ago, I actually had a doctor friend that owned a fly shop, and I remember walking in, and there was this kid up on this ladder, and he was stalking. Actually, we were moving the fly shop to a new fly shop, and I came in, and he, he'll tell you his impression, but... Um, <laughs> a little later that day he was like, So you hunt? and I said, Yeah and he says, Do you bow hunt? And I said, Yeah. And I think ever since those words were uttered, we've been
1: Yeah. <laughs> lifelong friends. You've been Jay and Dar. Oh yeah. Yeah. So And then the the owners of the fly shop left for the summer, so left he and I
3: in charge, which was Dar was skin. actually my <laughs> boss. Oh is that right. Yeah. Uh. I can actually remember one time on a Saturday morning getting a I don't even know if we had cell phones back then, but to make a long story short, anyway, I called in the dark because I'm like an hour late, and he's like, where are you? I'm like, I'll be in. I think I had overslept <laughs> or something, but he was my boss. So,
0: so after all that, how, 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 we do, how much time have we been, yeah, before you, Andy?
2: We're at an hour right now. It would be a good time to take just a quick break. Oh,
0: announce it. We're going to take a quick break. Be right back. So after you guys met, like you guys meet at a fly shop, how did it go when you started bow hunting together?
1: Yeah, we started hunting together, How did it go together, from that to be together. like
0: your guide in desert bighorn hunts?
1: Well, in, it was 2001. And then, hold on, but let me add, at this point, neither of you have guided hunting.
3: No, I had a guide's license, I think in, I think 1997 was the first year that I had a guide's license. So after you guys met?
1: Correct, after, yeah. yes.
3: Yeah. yeah, Jay started guiding some hunts, um, late 90s what elk right elk and coos deer um down in mexico kind of started that it was that just because you've been hunting on your own and liked it and had a knack for it yeah i think to be honest with you i was just trying to get more time out there hunting um in arizona you know with our draw it's you know limited tags and living here and not having you know a lot of resources early on to to go hunt I thought being a guide was perfect because I could go tag along and and you know actually go experience all these hunts because Dar was actually raised in a hunting family since he was little I, I shot my first year when I was 15 but that was the first real hunt that I had ever been on so I was one of those kids that grew up my grandma got me field and stream and outdoor life magazine but I absolutely wanted to hunt as a little kid Worse than anything. but that right? But well, it's I funny cause
0: usually those people don't turn
3: into real good hunters,
0: and, and it's usually
3: the people that have you have to do it your whole life. You know? Yeah, and I mean, some would argue whether I'm a good hunter or not. I guess the the thing is, is I wanted to hunt and fish so bad as a little kid. I think even today, people ask me why I love it so much. Is because when I was little, I really didn't have the opportunity. I was the kid that mm. literally, when Field and Stream came, you know, like six, seven, eight years old. Would read it cover to cover, and literally have like the the pages flip to the things that I liked, and you know so once I got introduced to it, um, I was hooked that's all I wanted to do was hunt and fish
0: yeah, you know Jay J- brings up an interesting point where like how if you want to hunt in arizona you you oftentimes just have to go with someone who's got a tag. If you notice when you see pictures from Arizona, there's always seven eight guys in the picture, yeah. Because you've got your guys you hang out with, and you're hoping that one of the guys draws a tag. Yeah,
1: that's right. If you, you know, want to go like, every year, you got to go with your buddies. Yeah, like if you live in Montana, it's like, if you're a Montana resident,
0: absolutely antelope tag every year. Absolutely elk tag every year. Absolutely a buck, mule deer, or white tail tag every year. As many doe tags as you want to get. Absolutely a bear tag every year. You can hunt more months than you can't hunt. Yeah here i mean it's just a different place it's just like it's just not as productive of a landscape it, it, you just can't you know there's there's not over-the-counter
1: hunting here so much yeah
0: you know? i mean, I think we do
1: have lots of opportunity here if you're you know would we'll do archery and just do different things there is a lot of opportunity yeah here. but
0: you're not walking around because your wallet's fat with all the tags no, no, you gotta like figure out not, somewhere to put all your tags not, you know no, no. <laughs> So yeah, you fall in with someone, and and you know I mentioned that like in in this this the hunting guide that we have coming out. I mentioned there's a lot of things that if you want to go hunt them, like I say, like if you want to go on a on a big hunt, hang, start hanging out with guys that are interested in big horns because the chances of you ever actually drawing a tag, you know, it's not gonna happen. No, it's like, but if you fall in with the right crowd, you might go on a handful of them. I've been on a couple big horn hunts. I've never drawn a big horn tag, but I've at least had the experience of going.
3: It's they're incredible blast. animals.
0: It's a blast, man. And you know, I, I still sit here feeling like I gotta remind myself that I didn't shoot the thing. You know what I mean? Because it just felt like like being there.
2: That's exactly how I ended up here working with you, is because I found out you had a doll sheep tag yeah. and I volunteered my time just so I could fly an airplane into doll sheep country. Join you and
3: I think Dan. I hooked you two up by email. Like yeah,
2: you were like yeah, Steve's got a tag. You should talk to him. Yeah, had you, had were, mov- you tow- were moving
3: to was- Alaska. He was That's in. I was Fairbanks. in. I was in
2: Fairbanks. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so just by going, you know, by wanting to go and see sheep country and see a sheep hunt and and, and experience a sheep hunt, here we are. Yeah,
0: I'd been. Yeah, I had a tag for something called the Toke Management Area. Now you guys have never hunted doll sheep, right? No, mm-hmm. want to. You do want to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember one of you was complaining about that you're a little bit afraid of cold weather.
2: It was. I think it was wet. We're in Arizona. It was wet. I would say that anytime
3: the weather gets under 60 degrees, I grab for a sweater. So, I mean, I'm I'm definitely a desert rat, but um, yeah, I would love to go doll sheep hunting, stone sheep hunting. Oh, absolutely. All right. So, definitely uh, not saying I'm the toughest critter out there. Well, no, you got
0: to be, though, now from doing all that sheep scouting. Um. All right. So you guys are working this fly shop? You'd like to hunt, or you like to hunt a lot, and just got into guiding and
3: started out doing elk and mm-hmm. coosier down in Mexico. I love video. I I, I want to say that last year um, was my 20th year. Would have been my 20th year of taking the entire month of September off to video elk, and it started out videoing elk and guiding elk hunters, and just my My love for elk and bugling and all of the parts of the game of elk hunting from calling to, you know, all of the different facets of elk hunting, I was just enamored with it.
0: Yeah, Jay even judges uh,
3: elk calling contests. Three years, I was a judge for the Rocky Mountain elk calling contest. But I didn't judge this last year, actually, because it was during sheep season. They, they, (laughs) They bumped their um expo up into december which was right at the beginning of the general sh- uh, desert bighorn sheep season so so doing doing the elk
0: deal how did that lead into like how like kind of like give like a quick crash course and how dude becomes a
3: sheep guide um to be real honest with you we hunted all sorts of stuff in 2009 my friend glenn hall darn and i's mutual friend glenn hall who we just think the world of actually drew a desert bighorn sheep hunt i had never been on a sheep hunt until then and so he drew the tag and his son tyler and i uh basically we wanted to know everything there was to know about sheep hunting so i talked to every single person that would listen to me that would take a phone call Um, tyler and i both scouted a lot for glenn's hunt and from the first time off. Just I, as friend. You're just doing this as a friend. He's my friend, and I wanted to be there for the whole thing. I took the whole time off, and you know, that was, <laughs> I wanted to. That's a good guy to know. I hope I draw an Arizona sheep tag. So that, <laughs> and so I was. Watch, you won't even take my call when I yeah, have. To just say. get the tag. Get the tag first. Yeah. Um, so from the first ram that I ever saw, and I was just hooked. The yellow horn, just the country they live in, I was just hooked on it. And so, I mean, we became almost obsessive about So did you guys have a good hunt that year, the 2009? Glenn shot what at the time was the number three um, muzzleloader ram uh, in the long hunter book, uh, 176 and four-eighths net, which um, was a large ram for that unit. And um, we looked at a ton of rams, but I mean, from that point, from that season, um, just absolutely hooked on sheep hunting. And that was over in western Arizona. And we had already been guiding, you know, for coos, deer, and elk, and all the other stuff. And um, we learned so much about that unit. Um, How many days did you put in when, when your friend drew the tag? Oh, I mean, I would say we put in 21 days at least. Just um, maybe, maybe more. Um, but videoing and photographing them and just documenting them, I just fell in love with it. And as fortune would have it the next year actually um a guy from wisconsin ron orndorfer drew the same unit oh well when he called me he had found out that that um we we i was in there the year before he had the same hunt and i said look you know i might not have the experience on judging rams and what have you but i know the unit and i know some of the rams that are in there and we got a great one last year and and I think Dar and I's expertise in glassing for coos deer just I mean, when you're trained to hunt coos deer and 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 glass for coos deer, sheep is in desert sheep is nothing compared to coos deer. So I felt like we fell right into the sheep game. Um we took Ron out, actually guided Ron in two thousand ten. He put his faith and trust in Dar and I we did it together and he got a beautiful ram that, that we had nicknamed the Logo Ram that we had actually found the year before. And um, we spent, I think we scouted, um, it was either every Wednesday or every Tuesday for like two and a half months, mm-hmm. um, steady. Every morning that day we would drive two hours from here. But then before the hunt, we spent a bunch of time and, and um, Ron killed the Logo Ram and that was 2010. And then... Um, I just was in love with it even more, and Dar then was all in, you know, and he was loving it too and 2011 Eric Swanson's Ram he got a nice one, and then you know then 2011 we took our first raffle, so we kind of went from zero to a hundred real quick, yeah yeah um, but I think Dar and I's analytical nature and and it seems like everything that we get into, I just want to know everything there is to know about it and be competent at it i so i think the way we went from being elk guides and coos deer guides to being sheep guides was just loving the game and wanting to to be in the game and know everything you know you could about the sport
1: do you guys think you'll keep doing going after sheep definitely well it's fun i mean there one thing about sheep that i would say is different than deer and elk there's a lot of interaction with them um, when we're taking pictures and video, a lot of times it's close. I mean, you can be 50, 100 yards from them sometimes. Is that right? Yeah. So We've gotten some
3: phenomenal video. Yeah, the pictures and video,
1: it, it it's really enjoyable documenting all that stuff. So that aspect of it is different than elk and deer. Do you guys put in for tags? Oh, yeah. How many bonus points do you have now? I have 20. I think I have like 18.
0: Do they give any tags? Um just, just to, to, I feel like we, we've talked about this so many times. Just to like bring people up to speed on what I'm talking when I talk about a bonus point is, in, when it comes to limited draw, permit allocation, which happens when, let's say you have you know a hundred deer and five hundred dudes want to hunt deer, you gotta like be like fair about it and not everybody gets to go, and so everybody starts applying, and they reward loyal customers, thinking of a person who applies for a tag as as a customer, they reward loyal customers by every year that they apply without success, they are given a bonus point or a preference point. And basically, these are like rewards points, which enhance your chances in the subsequent years to draw a tag. Some states handle bonus points in different ways, where some states, and this is true for Everything from bears to bighorns, right? But even turkeys, there's bonus points for turkeys in some states. So some states will give a certain number of the tags to whoever has the maximum number of points in that given year. Some states just treat a point as a point, and your name goes in once for each point you have. So if you have four bonus points, your name goes into the hat four times. Montana squares your bonus points. So I have right now 12 bighorn sheep bonus points in Montana or 13, my name will be going into the hat 169 times this year. I will not draw a bighorn tag this year. Um, and, and until that state does the thing where you give a certain number of tags at a max point holder, I'll probably never draw. But you have a chance. Always a chance. I'm, yeah, I have a chance up into almost a percent. I think. I have about a 1% chance. Um, with 13 bonus points. So anyways, you have 18 and 20 bonus points. Are you in a situation where they're going to for sure give you a tag when you get a max, or don't, don't they, they don't do that max holder thing?
3: We're so far behind, I think. I think 25 is max. Um, I could be wrong. It might be 26, but 25, I think, is max.
0: And are there more max guys every year than there are permits available to meet all the max guys? There are right Are now. the max guys still in a drawing? They're not just automatically given? I'll think-
1: Rough numbers, I was going to say there was like 150 people with max for sheep. And they give 20%, well, 150 residents, I believe, with max for sheep. And let's say they give 100 sheep tags in Arizona, 20% go to the people with the most bonus points. So 20 tags right off the top go to those max point holders. So, I mean, Jay and I are behind that so far behind that...
3: Well, I think I don't know the that we'll thing catch you need up. to look at when you don't have max points in Arizona is you need to apply for units that don't go in the max point draw. So, so you need to pick some of the lesser tier units that might not have as big RAMs but might have a sleeper RAM, and that's what I always try and... <laughs> I always try and apply for units that there's still a chance if I draw of getting a really nice RAM... But that aren't gonna the tags aren't gonna go in the max point pool no. because the the way Arizona does it is
1: they give twenty percent of the tags to the people with the most points, but they don't give twenty percent of each hunt. They just let those twenty percent they pick those tags out of the pool. So those people with the max points are picking the best units. Yeah. So the best units aren't available by the time it comes to the general draw, because they only might have one or two tags, and they're gone in that 20%. So if you're applying for those units, you're wasting your, you will not
3: draw. But a, a good story, last year I took a girl on the general season, Avery Elms, cutest little thing you've ever seen, 12 years old, from Oregon, Baker City, Oregon. She brought her dad and grandpa down um, she started hunting on the 19th once she got out of school, but she only had two bonus points, and it happened to be in the they same. They drew a big one tag. And as a non-resident. As a non-resident, but she drew in that unit where, in, where I hunted in 2009 and 2010 where the, the Glenn Hall's big ram was and the, um, uh, the, the logo ram, and subsequently the one of the seven giants that, you know, I shouldn't say giants, but one of the seven big rams that we found uh, scouting for the auction tag, was in that unit and it actually got killed and i think it was 183 inches um and she drew with two bonus points so don't ever think that as a non-resident you can't draw because she drew with two points Yeah, and and she got a beautiful ram and um was a pleasure to hunt with so you'll do, more, you'll do more than one sheep hunt. You, did, you were involved in several sheep hunts this Well, year. Dar had a client in 15D uh, North, and, and I had Avery Elms in 44B North. And oh, then okay. we also had the, the auction hunter. Um, so technically, I guess we had three hunts.
0: So you guys will split up now, then? Yeah.
3: Rarely, <laughs> but, but we do.
0: So Jane Dar didn't kill it. <laughs> <Dark old one>. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: right. I, I found the big one, and I called Jake because his hunter wasn't coming.
3: Oh, really? I didn't. He said, "My out. bags
1: are packed. I'm headed." Your all
3: way. I had to do was just say I found a big one, and I was scrambling for my stuff to to get up there to just help him out any way I yeah. could. So now
0: I meant to talk about. it but I wanted to talk about all the things you guys guide, but we burned up tons of time on bighorns. But to put in term of points, the elk units you apply. The the elk units you hunt in are arguably the best elk units in the country. Because Arizona is widely regarded as, you know, it makes like the. If you're going to, if you ask anybody who's really into elk to name like the top two or three elk states, Arizona's always on the list. And they're the best units in the best state. How many.
3: Years have the guys you guided been applying for the tags that you guide? It's a great question. You know, our draw just came out. Uh, The actual draw hasn't been released, but they've hit the credit card. So the guys that have applied on a credit card, uh, they know they've got a ding on their card so they know that it hit for whatever the amount is the non-resident fee. What day did that come out? Uh, Like Friday. Four or five days ago or three days ago. Um, So... I have a guy, Bob Reed, from Bend, Oregon, uh, 68 years old. He has 17 bonus points he put in for Unit 9 archery. So he's been faithfully applying for an Arizona elk tag for 17 years. Yeah, and going... And
0: apparently hasn't come out because he wouldn't have his bonus points if he'd come out.
3: Right, and and going into the draw, you can look at the numbers and see how it went last year. And we were pretty confident that with 17 points he was going to get the Unit 9 archery tag. So he applied for unit nine, one choice, and he did get a ding on his credit card. So we know we're going elk hunting. Is that right? 17
0: points. 17 points. When you're in those units, like how good is good? Like how many bulls? You like to call. Yeah. Like you call a lot. But Dar, you don't like to call too much. Not very not much, no. You more just like to get out in front of elk and just yeah. see if something happens. Yeah.
3: So when you're calling, like in one of these primo units, if you're, like how many bulls might you see? You know, when they're really rutting and really going, you know, you can get out of the truck and make a little walk. And, you know, when it's really hot, you can hear 12 or 15 bulls bugling when it's really good. Um, You know, and in a given day, whether you're just trying to glass them or if you're actually trying to work those bulls and get in on them, I mean, I would say on a good day, you could see in a morning, I mean, you could probably see a dozen bulls easy. Um, if you were just glassing, just trying to spot elk and not really move in on them, when it's good, you could see, I mean, you could see probably 15 or 20 bulls, no problem. Would you agree, Dar? Mm-hmm. I mean,
0: what's that, what's that, uh, on that, what's that YouTube video? How would people find that YouTube video that bull comes up and screams in your face and you try to scare it off?
3: Oh, yeah, it's, um, uh, Crazy Eye. Yeah, it's, uh, Encounter with Crazy Eye. I was in Unit 23 with, chad converse and richard sprague in 2010 and this bull was bugling and i kind of we snuck up and they got out in front of me and i cow called and you could tell he was just coming and then he kind of comes and then he kind of turns and looks in their direction and i kind of called to him and he just came like on a string and he ends up coming around trying to catch my wind and he circles me around over here so you'll see i kind of turn the camera and he comes and I'm just sitting, like, you know, kind of on my knees, and he comes up, bugles into the camera, and I thought, that's cool. And then he takes, like, five or six more steps, and he's literally as close, or maybe closer. I
0: can't believe you didn't try to spook him before that.
3: You know, I've been very, very close to elk um, before. And uh, it's just one of those things I would
0: be worried that he's gonna all of a sudden just get scared and all it would take is him
3: just to We always we punch always laughed at, you know, whatever you do, keep the camera running if that happens. Um it's probably not the smartest thing. I, I don't condone no, I people it doing it. But I love Yeah, I
0: mean like uh, all the safety stuff I, mean, break, I love man. doing it.
3: Mm-hmm. I love being close to him and, and you know, sometimes literally you can if you play your cards right, you can literally probably reach out and touch them as they walk by. But you gotta tell me your heart had to have been racing though. Oh yeah, I was. It was. I was on full alert. I'm thinking he's got me if he wants me for sure. Oh, that's Jay, great, Jay, Jay in the video. video.
2: Jay's face is pale. Yeah. When, when you turn the camera back on you, <laughs> I just your had face my little pale. my
3: little camcorder thing, and yeah. But
2: you're talking about the same video
0: I'm
3: talking about, where you wind up saying like, "You shoot, shoot. Whoa, yeah. whoa, boy." Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa bull. Yeah. And he kinda He's Keith like, he hesitates and he looks at me and I'm going, Whoa, Bull, whoa. whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he never really spooks. No, he doesn't. No. It's on YouTube. You can
1: it's on our YouTube. Yeah, he doesn't spook. No. He's so And like
0: I know that in that you like if you're gonna go there, you've been put in for seventeen years, all that, like you're gonna go and you're gonna try to kill a giant. You know, why not? I would. Yeah. Um <laughs> but that bull's like 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 a normal, like a public land hunter in Colorado, oh, dude, would
3: it's be getting just, shot. You know, yeah, well, be a dream. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's the thing. The beauty of Arizona is, you know, it's such good hunting, and a lot of guys have waited for so long. You hate for it to be over with quick. Yeah, we, you know, we book fourteen day hunts. We do the whole archery hunt. You know, one on one. That's that's you know, I'm taking this guy in unit nine he's my only hunter and i'm as committed to the hunt as he is and um we don't you know we don't split the hunt up we feel like you know we want the hunter to be as committed as we are to the hunt so you guys clients will sometimes have you are here like when you're looking
0: at guided hunts there's always like two to one meaning like two clients
3: one guy, but you guys sometimes do the other way around. Yeah. Well, most, we of guys have, yeah. one most of the time, uh, for Elk, Dar and I each have a client. You will. But, mm-hmm. You know, there's certain times when we maybe not, we might each have an archery client, but we don't have a muzzleloader or an early rifle. And most every situation like that, if I don't have a client, I stay and help Dar with his client. If he doesn't have a client, he stays and helps me.
1: Yeah, or or if we shoot one bull on the archery hunt, then the other guy's got two guys helping him. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And it always seems like there's somebody else from your community, yeah. that's yeah. like up hanging yeah, out and is like glassing. Up. And mm-hmm. so, if you don't like to call, what do you like? How how do
0: you do it? Like, what's your elk philosophy?
1: I just like to get in front of them, and it's not that I don't call because I do. Jay's got me calling some, but um, my you use mouth calls. I'm not way. as good a caller as Jay. If I if I was, I certainly would call more. But I'm not, so I have to use, you know, stalking. To, to get in on them. Um, I just like, my theory is that if I can get in front of them and they don't know I'm there, you know, I'm not calling to them so they're not looking at me. In front of them meaning when they're traveling to what? Yeah, when they're traveling or when they're out feeding, you know. I'm, I'm trying to stay parallel to them and then just keep getting
3: closer, hooking in front of them, and they're going to pass by, like on an archery hunt. Yeah. I think one of the biggest challenges with them um, what dar's talking about is the elk no matter what are always walking into the wind so when dar says get in front of them he never actually gets in front of them because their yeah, way, wind will you, hit them yeah he's, so you come he's in paralleling them but and then at the last second, closer you hooking in. in. yeah and so that's the trick that i mean definitely and, yeah. hunting in the southwest a lot of times we'll chase out in line after these bulls and Line out after these bulls and we'll go for a mile, a mile and a half before we even just decide to hook in. I mean we'll be patient, be patient, be patient, and then hook in. And you might hook in and you might be thirty seconds late or twenty yards late where they're or it's ahead just you. all cows, so, right? So yeah, and then you gotta loop around and do it again. And the challenge too is um, you know, usually the cows are in the lead and the bulls always in the back and the cows are so wary and such You've got to hook in enough that the cows don't wind you, but get in close enough where you have a shot at that bull when he comes by. So, I mean, it's truly, Dar's phenomenal at it, um, but it's truly something you kind of have to learn how to do. And, you know, if you get in front of them you wind them, you've now spooked them and they mm-hmm. take off, and now you've got to find a new elk, a group of elk to chase. But you also got to, if you don't push the envelope, you'll never get a crack at
1: them. It's push. a fine line, because if you, if you stay too far back and behind them, you'll just never catch up.
0: You know, I, in my own years, like, like I bow hunted for elk heavily for almost a decade. Um, where he kind of, like, my brother and I, like, had a place we hunted. We knew it well. He still hunts. It's, he does much better now than I, he did when he was with me. Um, but we would all, we talked about that line all the time with elk. Where on one hand, you can just sit and plot, you know, Like at five o'clock, you know, like the sun gets there, they always come over. It takes about blank time and then the whole herd's over. Then you can kind of come in behind them and get on the ridge and, you know, and you watch that whole thing for a day. And then like you go to make a move the next day, but the wind's not right, you know, but you're only hunting a three day weekend. And you're always sort of like at some point, you just got to get in there and risk doing it. And then you get in there and spook them, and you're like, "Man, I should have waited." Yeah, you know, it just seems like such a situation,
1: you know, like you, like you just
2: run that it, all the time. It's a fine
1: line, definitely, is a fine line.
2: And every now and then you get lucky where you've been parallel for so long, and instead of you hooking, yeah, you get dealt, hooker, you de- or, yeah. yeah, you get dealt that nice wild card, and all of a sudden they just decide to hook in front of yeah. you, and
1: or another bull bugles, and they're the bull, you know, the cows keep going, and the bull stops and rakes a tree, and boom, you're right there. Yeah, so.
0: I was watching. Uh, I was watching the episode of of the show Western Hunter, and um, it was that show has different hosts, but it was uh, Matt Simmons was on there. Nate Simmons. Nate Simmons. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And um, sorry. And he was like, he kind of like summed up his elk hunting strategy in like such simple terms. But having done some elk hunting, it makes total sense. He basically said, like, I like to get close and wait for something to happen
1: yeah and that's kind of like yeah. flip
0: it but then you're kind of like i know exactly what you're talking about dude you kind of get in there and it's like it's dynamic like things are changing you know and now and then like i remember one time it didn't work out but i remember one time like doing that and all of a sudden realized that the bull i had been sneaking up on just got totally engrossed in thrashing a tree you know and i could have driven a quad runner up on him yeah. at that point you know because just like something happened like He's super wary, bedded down, there's no way you're going to get anywhere near him. And all of a sudden he stands up and you're like, that dude is just oblivious
1: because he's shredding that tree. And then, you know, there it is, like something happened, you know. Yeah, you got to just shadow him and hope they make a mistake. I mean, that's what you're doing.
3: Well, and I think our terrain, too, is a lot different than other states. Um, you know, we can travel with the elk a lot better down here. We're not running through the, you know, broken down blue spruce you know um blow downs and stuff you know yeah and you
0: guys got that nice you guys often Juniper's. hunt that
3: nice bed of pine needles too yeah and and, and it's flat and f- I mean, fairly flat not Colorado, aggressive and so we can really run with these elk and it's just a lot of fun if you haven't experienced arizona you know it's uh, something that you got to apply for and and You know, there are units that you can draw with five or six, seven points as a non-resident that you can have bugling bulls. And maybe they're not the giant, you know, 350, 360 plus type bulls, but a lot of, you know, 300 to 320 bulls, which most people are just tickled pink with. And there's a chance at a 350
1: bull in every unit in the state. Yeah. So it's always a chance. I have some
0: number of points, but I'm still kind of just saving them up, you know. How many points do you have? For... I could tell you by looking it up. I can't. I mean, it's four or five. Four or five. Yeah. I think. So I'll be calling you guys in 20 years, I guess. <laughs> All right, man. Where are we? We're, yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to ha- We're have, you guys are going to have, we're going to have to sit down again because we didn't get to talk about <laughs> the things I'm actually most interested in is hunting Gould's turkeys and hunting Coo's deer.
3: So I guess this is, think of this. J and Dar. Tell, tell everybody your website. Uh, jscottoutdoors.com, com. Is it the same website? No, two websites. Oh, di- they're different? hmm Oh, I didn't realize that. I thought they were just like the same, just two ways of getting to it. So our, our guiding, our guiding uh, website is the colburnandscottoutfitters.com, and then um, all of our other adventures, fishing, all the hunting, all the gear stuff, what have you, is jscottoutdoors.com.
0: And then you can go on and look up uh, Encounter with old One Eye. Crazy Eye. Crazy (laughs) Eye, yeah. Yeah. So check that out. It's good stuff. All right, guys, we're going to have to do it again and talk about more stuff. But uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, Best of luck. Make sure to get in here. It's too late now, but uh, the 2000... What? 16 applications. Well, deer and,
1: deer and sheep is coming up in June, so get your deer and sheep applications in. Get your
0: deer and sheep applications in, and in 20 years, you might be on the phone with Jay and Scott. <laughs> Talk to you later. Jay and Dahr. Jay and Dar-
1: <laughs> Hey, if you follow
0: wildlife news at all, you're probably aware that the island of Maui has an incredible abundance of Axis deer, so much so that they're causing ecological damage. Well, Maui Nui venison, is thinning out some of those Axis deer herds and delivering venison sticks and fresh cuts to your door. Visit com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com. Use promo code MEATEATER for 20% off your order I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear.